Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we're talking about the 1984 sci-fi action adventure film, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. This is subtitled Across the Eighth Dimension. Yeah. Movie was heavily inspired by 1970s kung fu movies and campy sci-fi, and this movie is all over the place. The story goes that there is a whole bunch of conflict between the filmmaker and the writer and the studio that led to this movie just just really not seeming like it had a lot of direction because it was everybody was pulling it in a different one. Yeah. And but like also the product they envisioned, I don't think they had like an audience for it and then yeah. their 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 failure on this movie kind of made its own audience like just a weird cult shit because like to me this is like a collage of all the shit i love about weird 70s movies yeah yeah you know it's like all cool crazy weird shit that i liked growing up blended into one movie and like it's like we try to put that out in like a uh, mass market and shit like it's you're not you know you're not gonna get it it's like people gotta find this shit and exactly. a lot of people found yeah it's like throwing away treasure or something. It's exactly. Like, hey, this, this is bullshit. And then everybody else is like, oh, man, no, this is golden. Yes. Movie was made on a budget of $17 million and made $6.3 at the box office. It's rated Ow. PG. It's a bit of a long movie. It's an hour and 43 minutes, and it has a 66% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Movie was written by Earl Mac Rausch, known for his work on New York, New York, A Stranger is Watching, and the John Belushi biography Wired, which was pretty awesome. This script is what happened when W.D. Richter's wife reads a book and then says to him, Hey, this guy went to the same college as you. You should make a movie together. Because <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Damn. I did not know that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. He apparently started and restarted this story a whole bunch of times over about a 10 year period before finally turning in a script that was rewritten three more times in order to get the shooting draft. <laughs> so, Damn. so we started with a guy who wanted to write screenplays and had an idea for a movie but he didn't have enough of an idea or enough of a drive to write screenplays to finish either the idea or the screenplay. That tracks, man, because it does seem like someone, I don't know, it seems like a 12-year-old was given like a bunch of Red Bulls and like, hey, yeah. write, a, write an awesome, epic, like James Bond type movie. And they did that and they added Alien. Yes. So it's like he's a spy doctor, prince or something. And, you know, and there's aliens and the eighth dimension thing comes in and then he's got to save the day. Yeah. And the entire time there's like this evil guy that's kind of like Skeletor that's not really like beating up anybody, but he's just fucking up everybody's plan. 
Well, just look at the main character. Buckaroo Banzai is a neurosurgeon, physicist, comic book hero, rock star, kung fu master. Kung fu master. Damn. I'm he just could not make up his mind what he wanted to write. <laughs> He's either really good at everything or he sucks, so he just has to keep on restarting his life over. Yeah, exactly. Movie was directed by W.D. Richter, better known as a writer. He wrote Slither. He adapted Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the, the Leonard Nimoy version. Uh, he's nominated for an Academy Award for Brubaker and has writing credits on Big Trouble in Little China and Needful Things. So the director knows how to make movies, or at least he knows how to write. Maybe yeah. he should have written this one. <laughs> <laughs> Costume designer Aggie Gerard Rogers. You know her work from Return of the Jedi, Rent, and The Color Purple. And the costumes in this movie are awesome. Yeah, they make it the whole thing. It makes it look like a comic book. Yeah, the, the stuff that's supposed to be bizarre is over-the-top bizarre. They pull up at a police station to find a neurosurgeon dressed in full Western regalia. I love it. That's great. Makeup supervisor Barbie Dryband Berman. She worked on Cat People and Goonies, where she created the makeup for Sloth. She also worked on Howard the Duck, Die Hard 2, Wayne's World. And she wrapped up her career doing special makeup effects on Grey's Anatomy for 12 years. Damn. Yeah. It's a jobber. Exactly. Picked her thing and stuck with it. And this entire movie has a full-on 80s synthesizer soundtrack performed by Michael Boddicker. Fuck yeah. I love the music in this movie. It really, it gets you in that campy, like, fun feel, you know? Like, yeah, I'm just gonna yeah. go with, let's just go. This guy played synthesizer in 296 movies and TV shows, including both versions of Dune, Arachnophobia, The Hunt for Red October, Dead Poets Society, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Little Shop of Horrors, Police Academies 2 and 4, Real Genius, Teen Wolf, Back to the Future, and Free Jack. Remember when Mick Jagger wanted to be an actor? Oh, man, we still got to do Free Jack. That's like one of my favorite <laughs> movies. That's the best. And Free Jack. Oh, God. Yeah, but no, that guy is the 80s. He's like him and Harry Manfredini. Like, that's yes. like, like, those are my two favorite. And they really like Jan Hammer. You, got, you can't forget Jan Hammer. All right. Yeah, All right, exactly. No, I'm gonna go, yeah, no, I'm going to go like a list of 80s. So, yeah, no, let's go. Anybody who's following any of Jesse's Spotify uh, playlists, uh, you're in trouble now. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Uh, this movie has a huge cast, too. Oh, yeah. Movie Ensemble. stars Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai. You know him from RoboCop. RoboCop and uh, Naked Lunch. Yep. He That's was also in Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody was on Star Trek in the 90s, though. Yes, everybody was, including Iggy Pop. Hell yeah. That's part of why Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek, because Iggy Pop played a Vorta. Pretty good, too. Yes, he was. Ellen Barkin is Penny Pretty. 
You remember her from Drop Dead Gorgeous. She also appeared in Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Ocean's 13, and one episode of Poker Face. Poker Face, yeah, no. Uh, I've been watching the hell of that shit. <laughs> I came really addicted to it. I've, I've watched it like three or four times now. Next, we've got John Lithgow as Lord John Warfin, a.k.a. Dr. Emilio Lizardo. This guy, oh man. This guy is like one of the most underrated actors of all time. Oh, I love him. I uh, love him. I loved him as a transsexual NFL player in The World According to Garp. That's a great and movie. everything he's done since then. He's been in Harry and the Hendersons. Great he played movie. Lord Farquaad in Shrek. Great. He was Dr. Dick Solomon in Third Rock from the Sun. Great show. And uh, Raising Cain, you've seen that? Yeah. That movie was great. It was scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, he had like a multiple personality disorder and shit. Oh, nice. Yeah, really scary movie. And he's also appeared in Dexter, How I Met Your Mother, and the 2019 remake of at cemetery oh yeah yeah he, he, uh, he played the old guy didn't he yeah that was great he's a pretty fair banjo picker <laughs> jeff goldblum as new jersey <laughs> you know him from jurassic park the fly independence day and apartments.com yeah it's just it's just jeff goldblum oh and he is being stereotypical jeff goldblum too i mean he's Nobody can fast talk in circles quite like Jeff Goldblum, and that's the only thing he has to do in this. I, I think I like him in uh, Earth Girls Are Easy just because he's so quiet. Yeah. That's like the only one he doesn't talk, and that's because he's an alien. But uh, yeah, Jeff Goldblum is just hamming the fuck up. Actually, a lot of people are just hamming it up. It's like they just got a paycheck to show up and stand in the background. Yeah. Like you get one or two... Uh, lines and that's it and it has so many big faces we're gonna keep on going down the list but like yeah yeah we can't go through them all i've got a few more on here uh probably one of the biggest christopher lloyd as john big bootay yeah that's not how this guy's this guy's got 244 acting credits including reverend jim ignatowski in taxi the klingon commander krug in star trek 3 the search for spock Dr. Emmett Brown in the Back to the Future franchise, and Uncle Fester in Adam's Family, Adam Family Values, and probably my favorite, Judge Doom in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Rabbit, yeah. The guy's classic. I love Christopher Lloyd. That's a great voice uh, cartoon actor and shit. He does everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been in some turds, but he's, yeah, he's been in some good shit, too. And this guy that you've seen everywhere, and every time I see him, I think, holy crap, it's that comedian that I like. No, it's Vincent Chiavelli as John O'Connor. <laughs> he is an amazing, quirky character actor. And he'll just show up and deadpan stuff. He's been in Ghost, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Death to Smoochie, and Tomorrow Never Dies. I love him as uh, Fast Times. He was like the... Uh biology teacher he took him to the morgue for like a field trip yeah yeah and he, he was also on the tv show the fast times tv show as the same teacher okay i don't think i ever saw the tv show it was utter garbage i love it 
Who is that comedian? I can't remember that guy's name now. You know the one I'm talking about that looks exactly like this guy. Oh, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, yeah. Yeah, I love Stephen yeah. Wright. One time, right in the middle of a job interview, I took out a book and I started reading. The guy said, what the hell are you doing? I said, let me ask you one question. If you were in a vehicle and you were traveling at the speed of light, and then you turned your lights on, would they do anything? He said, I don't know. I said, forget it then. I don't want to work for you. Movie opens with a prologue crawl that explains everything. I generally hate these, but this one's kind of kind of good. Like you really need something like a big exploratory crawl for like something this wild. Yeah. Because if they just put you in and you didn't know what the hell was going on, you'd never catch up. Right. That's true. The prologue explains that Buckaroo Banzai was born to an American mother and a Japanese father. He is a neurosurgeon, martial artist, physicist, frontman for a rock and roll band, and test pilot of his own newly created jet car. And he's being watched by aliens that are currently in orbit around Earth. So you need somebody to come and tell you what was up. Yeah, especially when the spaceship looks like somebody broke a piece off of a coral reef and just stuck it in the sky. Oh, yeah, no, they look like uh, hot dogs if you put them in a microwave for five minutes. <laughs> it, it's just like a big, ugly, gnarly piece of driftwood. It's like when you walk into the gas station at nine o'clock at night and there's still one hot dog left on the roller grill. Roller, yeah, no, it's like, are you going to throw that away? <laughs> you got to clean the whole grill now. I mean, it's disgusting. <laughs> In the desert, a team is preparing for the launch of the jet car as the opening credits play. Meanwhile, Dr. Bonsai is performing brain surgery with Jeff Goldblum, who is explaining in very fast Jeff Goldblum style how he got deep into this guy's brain and basically got lost and doesn't know what to do next. <laughs> and then this part here, no, no, don't tug on that. You don't know what that's connected to. As they wrap up the surgery, Dr. Bonsai offers his colleague a full-time position, provided he can sing. And then he heads out to the jet car. Preparing for the launch, he installs a device in the car that activates a circuit that looks amazingly like a flux capacitor. <laughs> and the jet engine on this car was actually real. It was on loan from an aircraft manufacturer. I just thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, no, because this is like, what, 84? Yeah. So, yeah, this is like before, like, CGI and all that shit. So they still had it, like, kind of, with trick photography and shit. But, like, even then, some stuff, like, stunt. So it's kind of nice to have, like, yeah, an actual jet car that they're going to shoot. Now, when they do yeah. shoot it, there is some, like, trick photography and shit, you know, when right. he goes through the mountain or whatever. Spoilers. But, yeah, it's it's cool. It's a cool setup. It, it reminds me of a, a bunch of, like, they had zany action movies like this around that same time, 83, 84. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's really cool opening. Well, as the car takes off, somebody comments that he's definitely fast, but he's no match for a heat-seeking missile. What the hell? Who's <laughs> shooting heat-seeking missiles at race cars in this world? The government, I don't know. Hey. <laughs> 
It's some kind of like government test. I, that's all I've got from it. Well, he suddenly veers off course. It turns out some of the folks here are in on what he's doing because there's a guy leaning up against the wall giving a countdown. And then Buckaroo Bonsai just kind of veers off course and uh, he heads straight at a mountain. He fires a laser at the mountain and everybody's telling him to bail out of this car. And as he nears it, he phases into a different dimension that allows him to drive right through this mountain and reappear on the other side. And he deploys the parachute to stop the car. And before it starts driving, he just bails out of the driver's window. You can hear the folks on the radio telling him that there's some static registering on his windshield. And he goes to investigate. And apparently it's a statically charged Ghostbusters slime. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a vibration on his drive shaft, and he pulls something off of there that looks like a small brain. <laughs> I think he hit a dog in the eighth dimension or something. I think so. The possums are crazy there, too. <laughs> <laughs> crazy big. Well, afterward, Buckaroo and his team appear on a talk show to discuss their work, and this talk show is being watched by Dr. Uh, Emilio Lazardo who is watching from his room in the psychiatric hospital. He starts searching everywhere for a device. He's got all kinds of stuff in this room. I mean, not much as safety precautions. No. Um, but they ask, the, the person on the show asks, you know, how did he come about inventing this device that allowed him to just phase right through a mountain? And that's when Dr. Lazardo finds the device he's looking for, this electronic device that he straps to his wrist, plugs into his ears, clamps onto the end of his tongue, and then electrocutes himself. And we're in a flashback. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's, that's so funny and shit, because it's like a cartoon. Uh <laughs> in Crime Wave or some shit. It's just zany as hell, over the top. But yeah, you have a flashback, and it's like, uh, him and I, I want to say like Buckaroo Bonsai's dad's there, and they got a that, device that kind of looks like the car, but it's like a like a like a wheelchair. I actually think that's Professor Hikita, who is okay. on Buckaroo Bonsai's team. So that's not his dad. See, I thought that was his dad because like he's like he's supposed to be like uh, mixed, right? Yeah. Okay, I thought that was like his dad, but I guess yeah, he just worked with his dad, right? I think I don't I don't I'm not sure. But anyway, it's the same guy who plays Professor Hikita, who is on Buckaroo Banzai's team. Yeah, just without a mustache. Yeah. And they are working on a same device, the exact same device that he just tested correctly. They're taking a much lower tech approach to it because, well, they don't have a jet car. They have um, a, a little electric go kart. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't have a mountain that they're going to try to phase through. They just painted a target on the wall. Dr. Lazardo is ready to go, and he starts firing things up. Uh, but uh, the, the professor keeps tell yelling at him, no, wait, there's a problem. There's a problem. Stop. And Dr. Lazardo is not hearing it. He hits the button as he's racing towards the wall. He gets thrown forward out of the seat of the electric go-kart head first into the wall and he passes through the wall but only as far as his waist and then he's stuck 
Like Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Except with pants. Yeah, he is wearing pants. True that. <laughs> well, they pull him out of the wall. And uh, when they do, Dr. Lazardo attacks two members of his own team and then runs away screaming. Back in the hospital, an orderly has brought Dr. Lazardo a package. Uh, he tells the orderly that he is Lord John Warfen today. Uh, also, they're taking away his TV because it uses too much electricity, but he's got all these other electrical devices scattered around there that they don't ask any questions about. They just take his TV. Yeah, he's got a six-way plugged into another six-way. Yeah. And this is an 80, so those are janky as hell. So, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't care, though, because he plans to use his overthruster to go home. Back at Buckaroo's lab, Dr. Hikita has an analysis of the thing that they found on his drive shaft, and they're also performing at a nightclub as the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Yeah, that's the name of his, like, sidekick slash band. Yeah. All of the scientists on his team are also band members. That's the reason why he asked that uh, surgeon of his if he could sing before offering him a job yeah <laughs> it's like i don't know it's also like uh captain planet like each one has like their own specialties and shit like one's a geologist you know and other one's yeah. like a rocket scientist and it's just it's fucking awkward as shit man it's so weird <laughs> yeah, yeah it's pretty bizarre they put on the most 80s shit like clothes ever and they get under some neon lights and they have like musical numbers yeah, Tommy Perfect is kind of dressed like Billy Idol, maybe. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking weird as shit. And then, like, Jeff they Goldblum got a... dressed up like a cowboy. Yeah. Like, Jeff with, Goldblum like, dressed like a cowboy. Uh, their saxophone player is pretty talented. He can play two saxophones at the same time. Yeah. Uh, now, I've played saxophone and bullshit. Yeah, I'm going to call bullshit. <laughs> But he only did that for a little bit. The rest of the time, he played one saxophone with the other saxophone tucked under his arm. Yeah. Well, partway through the show, Buckaroo stops the show because somebody, he can sense someone in the audience is not having a good time. Somebody is crying. <laughs> it turns out there's a woman crying at a table in the back. So someone's having a bad time at a club. The only reasonable thing to do is shove a microphone in their face and shine a spotlight on them, right? <laughs> they were quick with that, like, fucking spotlight, too. Yeah, yeah, they were. She says her name is Penny Pretty, and she's broke, and her life is falling apart. Uh, Buckaroo calls her Peggy for some reason, and he's going to call her Peggy for a while. Yeah. Uh, people are giving her a hard time. He says, no, 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 be nice, be nice, because remember... No matter where you go, there you are. There you are. Well, he's going to sing a song for her. But like I said, he keeps calling her Peggy, which makes things even worse. Because, I mean, her life is going to shit and people won't even call her by her proper name. Yeah, no. What really, uh, like, after this happens, they're probably like, you know, man, that Buckaroo Bunzai concert was awesome. Yeah, too bad that Peggy chick wouldn't chill the hell out. <laughs> Well, he sings a sad ballad, and while he's singing, Penny puts a gun to her head, uh, but a waiter bumps her elbow, so she misses shooting herself in the head, 
and instead gets arrested for trying to shoot Buckaroo Bonsai. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks, Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, doesn't the bullet, like, bounce? It, like, ricochets shit? Like, so it wouldn't even be. I like, think a so, hit. yeah. I know there was a ricochet sound, but we never saw yeah. what it actually did. Just Buckaroo Bonsai gets down, and then, like, a whole bunch of people just tramp, trampled this little lady, and, like, just smeared her like a flat pancake, just flat out. Back at the hospital, Dr. Lazardo is trying to call Dr. John Big Boutet at Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems. Go Yo-Yo Dine. An orderly tries to stop him, and he kills the orderly, just grabs him by the throat and chokes him out. Straight out. And he explains to Dr. Big Booty that it is time for them to go home because the overthruster has been perfected. And then he steals his keys and escapes. And as he's walking out of the hospital, there is a couple guys playing a video game. And he stops, and he looks at them, and he just reaches the hand over and electricity shoots out of his hand and short circuits their video game. And then he walks out of the hospital. <laughs> like, did he? Yeah, he had to be a jerk on the way out. Also, the video game, the side graphic, it's a Buckaroo Banzai. Yes, there are Buckaroo Banzai comic books and video games. In or like a whole fucking fan club and shit with like ranks and files. It's weird. <laughs> I think it's a cult. It's like a cult or a pyramid scheme, or probably both. I mean, I'm not sure. we never got a sequel. <laughs> so his logo is is a couple of bees, but they're made to look like a a pair of boobs with Van Halen wings. It's supposed to be a bow tie, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. We'll go with the bow tie then. <laughs> no, because that's like, cause like all those fan club members wear that shit on their t shirts and stuff and their hats. Right. But the yeah, Blue you're Blue Blazer right. Strike Team. Yeah, the Blue Blazer Strike Team. Yeah. But like, yeah, it looks like boobs with like a little flare. <laughs> well, on Buckaroo's tour bus, Reno, Nevada, and Perfect Tommy are discussing how much Penny looks like Peggy. We still don't know who Peggy is, but we're going to find out. Don't worry. Rawhide brings Buckaroo a news report of Dr. Lazardo's escape. Meanwhile, Space Command has detected a giant radioactive cloud-like thing over New England. And it could be a Chinese above-ground nuclear test, or it could be sunspots. Not real sure. Well, the tour bus pulls up to pick up the uh, surgeon, Sydney that Buckaroo was working with earlier. He's the newest member of their band, and, at the, and they're picking him up outside the New Brunswick police station. And this guy is in the full Hopalong Cassidy gear. Oh, yeah. Like Roy He's Rogers. He's got the shit. big hat. Yeah, the Roy Rogers stuff. He's got the big cowboy hat. He's got the, the bandana tied around his neck and a bright red Western shirt. He's got some chaps. He's even got gateway cow patterned luggage. It's like he understood the memo. He just, his execution of it was like way off. Yeah. They sent him as like, all right, you're in the club now. You got to wear this stuff. You got to dress like this. And, you know, practice is like 1130. And he's like, all right, I'll be there. 
And yeah, and, he comes in like he's gonna like go rustle up them doggies and shit. And everybody is one hundred percent okay with that. Yeah, no, no, he's he's good. He's in the band. Plus, he's like a <laughs> he's like a world renowned brain surgeon or something. So they probably yeah. need. Buckaroo is here to pick up Penny since you know she was arrested for trying to kill him at the nightclub she reminds him of somebody he used to know and he happens to know things about her that nobody else knows which is kind of creepy apparently buckaroo bonsai is a stalker <laughs> at a panel discussion that's being cut short to make room for a motorcycle convention uh, buckaroo's giving a speech about contacting alien life as an alien spaceship orbits Earth, listening in on the speed. Penny, surprisingly, understands exactly what they're talking about, which is kind of odd because, I mean, we don't know anything about Penny other than that she's broke. Yeah. And Hell, sucks I've been watching at suicide. Entire, I've been watching the entire movie, and I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, she automatically understands it. Like, just picks it up like... Yeah, exactly. Just in that instant. That's when Buckaroo reveals the brain in a jar as evidence that they have visited an alternate dimension. But he is interrupted by a call from the president that they have conveniently routed to a payphone down the hall. That is so suspect, man. And by down the hall, I mean in the parking garage. Yeah. It's like, nah, come, come with me. A little bit more, a little further. <laughs> no, not there. Not the lobby. No. Yes. Like ground level two. We got to go in the garage. And it's like, what the fuck? And he's like, <laughs> so he's totally, he's totally cut off from his team at this point, right? No, it's his team that took him down there. Oh, yes. Right. Because it's like got the, the hardcore, like uh, bearded guy. Yeah, that's yep. right. But that's kind of weird. It's like they got like a, a phone booth in a parking garage. Yep. Because, well, I mean, when Buckaroo Bonsai is there, you don't know when you're going to need a phone booth. So you put them everywhere. Yeah. Well, it turns out the call isn't from the president, but it's from aliens instead. Uh, and they zap Buckaroo through the phone and he immediately starts writing something on the palm of his hand and then takes off running. Meanwhile, the aliens launch a thermal pod toward Earth. Buckaroo runs back into the conference room where he can now see the true form of aliens in the audience. They are red lectroids, and they have infiltrated the press conference. Well, Buckaroo, Rawhide, and Tommy chase after him to chase him out of the room as John Big Boutet comes up onto the podium and takes Professor Hikita hostage and shoots Reno and tries to steal the overthruster, but I don't think he gets the overthrust. There's lots of chasing and lots of cutting back and forth between different people chasing in this movie. So it's easy yeah. to get lost on who's chasing who, which means they can film like six scenes and turn it into 12 minutes of movie. Yeah. With just like little five or six second cuts here and there and, and you've got a, a long lasting chase. Well sometimes you'll have like some really happen two people talking and they'll cut back to a chase chase scene that uh other people on the team are going through or some shit. Right. Yeah. They'll do really that. Confusing. 
It can get very confusing. Well, Buckaroo chases the Electroids out of the hotel. They hop into a van and drive off. So he steals one of the motorcycles that's being unloaded for the motorcycle convention and chases after him. Out in the woods, though it's not really the woods because they're in California. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was about to say. Two hunters are walking through the brush talking about how unsuccessful they've been. When the thermal pod flies overhead, looking a lot like a big buzzard. Yeah, I was about to say, these two guys think they just bagged the biggest turkey in North America. <laughs> they shoot it, but and it goes down, but they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do some walking to get to it. And they say they probably won't get to it before dark, and boy are they right. Yeah, they called that. In the van, John O'Connor has detected a black thermal pod emergency beacon. So they make a U-turn and in the process run Buckaroo Bonsai right off the road. Meanwhile, the hunters and their dog have found the pod where it crashed. It's up in a tree, so so they're going to do the only reasonable thing you can do. They're going to find a big stick and poke it. <laughs> the pod is now a gigantic electrified boulder and comes ro rolling out of the tree. The top of it opens up and a man emerges. As the door closes underneath him, he loses his balance, though, falls off the boulder and hits his head, killing himself. Uh, when the two hunters go to investigate him, they find he's got a Buckaroo Banzai con uh, comic book in his jacket pocket. And it's the latest issue. That's, that's wild. Yeah. While they're doing this, another man sneaks out of that pod unseen. Buckaroo contacts Rawhide. Uh, they have the overthruster, but Professor Akita has been kidnapped. A buckaroo tells them to investigate Yo-Yo-Dine propulsion system because he thinks there's a clue there. Police have arrived in the, uh, where the hunters are, and they're examining the dead alien when the van pulls up. They mention that his face is starting to change, too. The van pulls up with John O'Connor, John Gomez, and John Big Boutet. They are here to recover their experiment, and they say that the dead alien is one of their droids. That's plausible. <laughs> Buckaroo arrives unseen as the rest of the gang are tracking him. They're going to get some of their volunteers, the Blue Blazers, and there's a young boy named Scooter who hears their distress call and tells his dad, they got to help Buckaroo. That's so 80s. It's fucking corny as shit i love it yeah well his dad's got a helicopter so if buckaroo needs help and then it makes sense the guy with the helicopter is the one that needs to help right oh yeah i'm so glad or yeah i mean buckaroo should be glad that that kid who's a fan of his like his dad had like you know oh yeah no i'm like you know i, I mean there's so many kids out there whose dads have helicopters that just don't give a shit you know Oh, yeah, another, they probably watched a wrestling or something. It's like. <laughs> Buckaroo sneaks into the back of the van and breaks Professor Hikita out of the box they have him in. He tells Professor Hikita that the other aliens zapped him and gave him a formula that allows him to see the electroids from Planet 10. He wants Hikita to synthesize whatever this is. So he's got a formula written down on the palm of his hand. And Professor Nikita says, well, you got to give me the formula. So Buckaroo licks the palm of his hand and sticks it to Professor Nikita's forehead. There's an electric jolt 
<laughs> and he just zapped the formula into the professor's brain. I love that. That's so fucking like like <laughs> story like for like uh plot wise that like kind of works. It's just kind of genius. It's like well, and he just licks it and like just puts the scientific formula for breaking this like alien mind control like algorithm thing, and it's like getting on her. The secret to go. detecting aliens is this slap. Like it's kind of <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's great. Well, the band shows up back at the apartment with Penny and the woman who lives there uh, and takes care of the place for them, Mrs. Johnson, who when you hear her name, you would think she was a much older woman. But no, she's like in her late 20s, early 30s. <laughs> Mrs. Johnson immediately thinks this is Penny, but then remembers it can't be Penny. Back at the probe, John Big Boutet and company are trying to break into the pod with a sledgehammer and a crowbar. Inside, the remaining alien, John Gant, sends a message to the orbiting ship where the aliens are sitting at giant Dr. Seuss tables. Yeah, it's like weird, trippy shit. It's like, I don't know. It also reminded me, oh, oh God, there was like some uh, in Battlestar Galactica, you know? Like you had the Cylons and then you had the ones that were above the Cylons and they had like they were in like those giant chairs and had tables like that. Okay, yeah. They were like the Satans or whatever they're called. I'm not sure I didn't watch that much of it. Oh man, they had like weird light up, but it was like the same thing. And also it was like a Dutch angle and like seemed like it was filmed from below. Uh It was trippy like that. But yeah, it had like the same Was that the seventies Battlestar Galactica or the new Battlestar Galactica? The the seventies one. Okay. They yeah they didn't I, they were in like a couple episodes. They didn't really mess with the especially in the first season is like they showed the head guys of the Cylon army and after they kind of like petered out. Well, they ordered John Gant to self destruct. He reports that John Valuk is dead. He fell on his head. But perhaps John Parker will get through with their message to Buckaroo Bonsai. There's a reason everybody's named John, and we're going to get to that. Outside the probe, one of the Lectroids discovers Buckaroo Banzai, and they all chase him as he runs away. He runs up to a fence, and as he does, the probe explodes behind him. Uh, Buckaroo tries to flag down a truck that's coming towards him, but there's a Lectroid driving it, and he's going to run Buckaroo down. As Buckaroo runs away, a rope ladder falls from the sky, and he just happens to grab onto it while he's looking behind him. Yeah. It's Scooter and his dad with their helicopter, and they fly Buckaroo to safety. Scooter's dad's name is Casper. In the bunkhouse, which is back at the apartment, the guys are trying to hack into Yo-Yo Dime propulsion system, and that's where we learn that Professor Hikita returned and is upstairs working on synthesizing Buckaroo's formula. Outside, John Parker arrives on a bicycle, wearing a silver jacket, and carrying what looks like a pink cake box. (laughs) And there's somebody off-camera heckling him, drawing attention to all of the key points, going, Hey man, nice jacket. What do you got in the big pink box, dude? Yeah. 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 Make sure you look at the right things. Like just terrible ADR work. Uh, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like old CBS cartoons, like the Saturday morning cartoons. Like they had like they're really badly animated, so yeah. they kind of they they employed that technique of like just oh we'll just draw the picture of it 
and we'll yell, and the, that'll tell the story. So we we, we don't even have to animate it. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty fucking funny. Also, I think it's funny. It's like to get the Buckaroo Banzai's attention. They they have like a uh, a guy like on a scooter with like a cake box. It's like yes. no, it's cake special cake, Graham. <laughs> Candy Graham for Mongo. Yeah, no. <laughs> like that works every time. Trojan horse. Oh no, it's cake. You know, it's really pissing off when they open it up. It's like, hey, I thought I had cake. Where's my cake? <laughs> I was all ready for cake, and it's just a fucking message from aliens. Yeah, no. Nah. Oh, man. I am going to call Uber Eats and cuss <laughs> them out. <laughs> well, he's met at the gate by Blue Blaze. Blue. I can do this. Hold on. You're good. By You're Blue good. Blazer regular Pinky Carruthers. <laughs> who takes the package but then turns John Parker away. Inside, the guys have hacked into Yo-Yo-Dine Industries or Yo-Yo-Dine Propulsion Systems computer system and discovered that 46 Yo-Yo-Dine employees all applied for Social Security numbers on November 1st, 1938 in Grover's Mill, New Jersey, and they're all named John. Dun-dun-dun! What happened on November 1st, 1938? Nothing really. I know. But New Jersey figures it out. He puts together Grover's Mill, New Jersey, and the day before that, Halloween 1938, and Orson Welles, the guy from the wine commercial. The guy that sold me peas? We will sell no wine before it's time. That guy's like shit. Yeah, it turns out that in 1938, Orson Welles was actually reporting on aliens landing at Grover's Mill, New Jersey. But then the aliens got to him and hypnotized him and made him admit that the whole thing was a hoax. And so these aliens passed through the eighth dimension and have been on Earth since 1938. Wow. That's a long time, man. Even, Even in 1984. What sucks is they had to live all the way up to, like, 1984. Exactly. <laughs> Those are, like, the shittiest years. Outside the compound, John Parker is hiding in the bushes as John Big Boutet, John Gomez, and John O'Connor arrive. Dr. Lazardo, John Warfin, has sent, him, sent them to recover the overthruster, and they just jump over the wall of the compound, $6 million man style. I love that, yeah. And they're immediately followed by John Parker, who, as soon as he lands on the ground, is attacked by a couple of Blue Blazer regulars. Apparently, they missed the other three. They got the black guy. Damn. They got him. In the garage, a mechanic is working under the jet car when this big water bottle, you know, like the one of those water cooler bottles, comes rolling down the driveway and just smashes into stuff. He gets out to investigate and is attacked by John Big Boutet, who shoots something out of his mouth and kills the mechanic. A helicopter lands as the red electroids try to steal the overthruster from the jet car. The helicopter was delivering buckaroo, and the guys explained the whole War of the Worlds thing to him. Up in, the, up in their lab, they're going to play the record that was actually delivered in the cake box by John Warfin. This is just a big red plastic disc, and they put like a little car on it that goes around and round, and it plays a hologram. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like a track car or something. Yeah. And they just put the track car and it just goes through and then like the, the little car projects it like fucking uh, Star Wars style up in the, in the sky. This hologram is John M. Dahl, who happens to be a woman, by the way. Yeah. And she is from Planet 10. She tells them that Lord John Warfen is a tyrant as bad as Adolf Hitler. And he and his followers were exiled to the eighth dimension. Um, now he's going to try to steal the overthruster so they can get back to planet 10 and take over the world and lead the red, the red lectroids in uh, a violent uprising against the black lectroid. So it's a alien interstellar interdimensional race war. Yeah. If Buckaroo Banzai can't stop him by nightfall, the red, the black electroids are going to use their particle beam to cause an explosion in Russia, which will trigger a global nuclear war and just destroy the whole planet. They got to throw Either you there. stop the red electroids or we blow everything up. Yeah. So Buckaroo's headed to Yoyodyne. <laughs> meanwhile yeah like just bam so he immediately gets on a bus <laughs> yeah but he's got to get his guns first he's looking through his room for his guns so that he can't find and penny is upset because she found a picture that looks like her and buckaroo bonsai yes her in a wig <laughs> uh, that's when he tells her that that woman is her twin sister. They were separated at birth. He mentioned early on that she was she was from Cheyenne, Wyoming, but she was actually born in Laramie, but she moved when she was adopted. So this was her twin sister, Peggy, and Peggy and Buckaroo were actually married. Dun, dun, dun. This is like over-the-top bullshit. Yeah. That's where I was like, it's, it's like written by a child. Like, not only is a chick kind of, like, one-dimensional and, like, not even a real person, but, like, oh, yeah, you got to love me because I was married to your twin sister, right? Exactly. And it's, oh, my God. Uh, it's it's really bad. It's really bad. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the love of my life is dead, so I'm going to find somebody that looks just like her, and it'll be the same, and we'll be happy ever after. Yeah. No, like hang-ups or nothing about that. That's so damn creepy. It's very creepy. <laughs> In his lab, Professor Hikita is working when the electroids, the red electroids, infiltrate and attempt to steal the overthruster. They kill one of his lab assistants. Uh, again, with this thing that John Big Boutet can shoot out of his mouth. Now, Buckaroo and the guys go after him. They find... The thing that that's been shooting out that John Big Boutet has been shooting out of his mouth is actually a a electronic spider looking thing. Yeah, no. Or maybe they, it's an actual spider. I'm not real sure. It's like a a ninja star, but it's made out of like organic material. It's like a bug that's yeah. like a ninja star. And like, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it, I, it's really cheap. But when they pulled that thing out of that scientist's neck, and it has like a little spring to it. It really kind yeah. of messed with me. I really kind of like, it was oh, super. God. It was super creepy and very gross. Yeah, 
if you look at it, if you like go through and dissect it, it's not that bad. But just that one little quick thing that they show, you know, it's like, oh God, they pulled that out of his skin. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of scary. A buckaroo is heading through an area that kind of looks like a library. Maybe it's in the basement of this house that they call an apartment. <laughs> it's a row of file cabinets, and one of the drawers is open and burning, so he just pushes it shut, and you can see behind him it just keeps burning. <laughs> <laughs> Rawhide gets shot with one of these things, too, and as they head through a room, New Jersey, they're, they're chasing after these guys, they head through a room, New Jersey and Reno head through a room together, and New Jersey asks, why is there a watermelon there? And Reno says, I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> There's a story here. So apparently, in the early stages of shooting this movie, you know, when, when you shoot a, a movie or a TV show or whatever, you turn in what's called dailies. All the footage that you shot that day gets turned into the studio to review. And the studio always has notes or comments, and there was always a lot of a lot of notes on this movie about wanting to change things. And it was incredibly frustrating for the director and for the producer and and, and the writers and everything. And then as they went on and on, there were fewer and fewer notes coming back. And then there were no notes coming back on any of the stuff they turned in. And the guys thought, well, are, is anybody even paying attention to us anymore? And so they put this thing in here with the watermelon that makes absolutely <laughs> no sense. It's not part of any story. And it kind of actually stops the action because it takes you out of that chase. And now you're wondering about this damn watermelon that's stuck in a press. And they got no notes from the studio on that scene. And that's when they knew, you know, we can do whatever the hell we want in this movie now. And the yeah, movie like, does kind of actually get a little worse from this point. Yeah. Now once the, the alien message plays, once you get the, the hook, like, okay, we got so many hours to the earth explodes or whatever, you know, game on, let's go do our thing. Yeah. It, it becomes like completely uh, aimless. Yeah. This shit just happens for no reason, and it happens that they did the right thing when they did it, and yes. you don't even know how they get to that conclusion. You're just, oh, all right, we got to go here, we got to go there. Yeah, all right, it's we've really, been it's there. Really, now go here. It gets really bizarre from this point. People just show up without any real continuity, and the geography of the movie is is completely disjointed. And oh yeah. And we get to meet the president, which takes it into a completely uh, Mel Brooks, Three Stooges kind of uh, turn. Also, you split up the team. So that means they're like one person's doing this mission and these people are on a chase and it gets really fucked up. Yeah. Well, back at Rawhide, apparently his legs are paralyzed and uh, John Parker explains that you know, there's no antidote for this thing that he's been shot with. It's one of those electroid spider things. Uh, John Parker actually squashes the thing on the floor, and it's this big, gooey, slimy bug mess. Rawhide dies, and outside, somebody steals Casper's helicopter. The Secretary of Defense is trying to explain things to the president, who is in traction with a broken back, apparently. 
he wants to um, confiscate the Bonsai Institute's jet car since they're not going to give it to him. They're interrupted by a message from Buckaroo Bonsai. They just roll a TV in, in front of the president. He tells the president there are aliens on Earth. John Parker tells the president that his people are the ones in orbit. That's what that big cloud is that everybody's talking about. And the president is mostly useless, but he orders the military to investigate the mysterious cloud over New England that he was just told was an alien ship. <laughs> yeah, like we said, God, from this point, yeah. it goes, it goes, it goes bizarre. Like the the president is just yeah, pretty much like uh, like uh, I don't know, like FDR, but worse. Yeah, like like almost like. Just not a vegetable. Like he's still like there, but not really. And then like, <laughs> oh no! When anything happens, you know, Buckaroo Bunsai immediately gets slapped in. Like the American, like I guess like Captain America, or like American James Bond. He's like gotta go yep. save the day. Yeah, this president is about as effective as Barry Bostwick in FDR, American Badass. That's a great movie. That is the craziest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Did we cover that? No, but we need to. Oh, man. I could, I could, I could, that's probably like our lost episode. Because I could have <laughs> remembered we recorded that. Yeah, we haven't done that one, but we should. Oh, all right, yeah. Coming up. <laughs> Lost episode. Buckaroo receives a call from John Warfin. He has captured Penny, and John O'Connor is drizzling honey on her. <laughs> he also has a box of ants. Warfin tells Buckaroo to come to Yo-Yo Dine alone if he wants to rescue Penny. Meanwhile, Professor Akita has developed um, scuba vests that will allow them to see the Lectroid's true form. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a life vest. <laughs> and like a scuba hose attached or a snorkel hose attached. <laughs> but if yeah. they if they breathe that stuff, whatever it is, they'll be able to see the electroids as electroids. Kind of like Roddy Piper's sunglasses. Yeah. It looks like something like a BMX biker would wear in the Dune universe or something. <laughs> But yeah, I do love that whole. It's it's like they live with the uh, oh these guys you can't see them and unless you have this mathematical formula or a breathing apparatus or some shit. Right. Well, they're gonna run a raid on Yo Yo Dine to rescue Penny. Meanwhile, the president is informed that all communications have been jammed by atmospheric conditions. People have been sending really bizarre flower arrangements to him. <laughs> there's a bunch of flowers that looks like an American flag. And there's a general who is just eating the fruit out of a fruit basket. He's just got his pocket knife carving up an apple that he got out of the president's fruit basket. <laughs> the Soviets are having the same problem. And an electromagnetic pulse triggers an alarm. And the Russians have escalated their defense levels. So... By God, we will too. Give me the book that tells me how to launch the nuclear missiles. Buckaroo is headed to Yo-Yo Dine in his jet car. Inside, Penny is being taken to the pit, which is a flooded basement. At the White House, the president and his staff are watching the message from John Emdahl. Not sure how they got that, but they're watching. They just finished watching it. One of their one of uh, the the band's like groupies or a personal assistant. 
she she brought the president the message right before they split gotcha. up. They told her to get the record, and they had those stupid three D glasses, which is like bubble wrap. Yes, the bubble wrap goggles. God, that was the dumbest remember? thing I've ever seen. Yeah, she comes up to the president with their record player. It's like, hey, you know, and he they got instead of him laying on his stomach, they got him like propped up, and he's yeah. still like in traction and shit. He's like, I got the things, and I remember the the guy that was eating the apple put the glasses on the president. How does how does this work? You know, and <laughs> the glasses. Like, I'm glad that shit never took off, right? Goggles made out of bubble wrap. <laughs> I'll see if we can get them in our merch store. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can't contact the Russians, so the president is preparing for emergency action. He's pulled out a piece of paper out of a out of an envelope, and he is going to complete the declaration of war, the short form. <laughs> I think that that kind of uh, it calls back to when we used have to used to have to do the income tax returns on paper. Oh yeah. A buckaroo arrives at Yoyodyne. Meanwhile, John Warfin is giving a speech to the Red Lectroids about his plan to defeat the Black Lectroids. Buckaroo is escorted into the room in his jet car. They're just giving him directions as he's driving in. Yelling, "I'm not that way, you dummy. Go over this way." <laughs> But there's no overthruster, so they take him to the shock tower, which is like a messed up electric chair. They're going to give him, they're going to show him some mathematical equations that need to be solved in order to develop the circuit that they need. And if he doesn't solve them, he will be electrocuted. The helicopter drops off the Secretary of Defense to see Buckaroo. Meanwhile, Penny is strapped to a bed and covered with spiders. Yeah, and they have like a giant, like, uh, kind of like fan blade. Yeah. I don't know if it goes to anything, but they got it like right next to her neck. Like they can, but it, it just seems like someone's got a, like a fan blade just right there. Yeah, it's, it's like a ramp almost. Yeah. Running right to her face. But she got like, yeah, the honeys and ants and spiders on her and she's just like laying there. It's pretty bizarre. It's the worst kink room ever. <laughs> Buckaroo, meanwhile, tells John Warfin that, you know, the missing circuit is in your head. And that gets him another shock, including there's electrical shock running straight to his balls for some reason. Ah, oh, because the uh, John Warfin guy is like a fucking sick bastard. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, that's exactly why. The tour bus pulls up outside the guard post at Yo-Yo Dying Propulsion Systems and the Secretary of Defense gets off. He wants to stop, talk to John Big Booty, but John Yaya and John Smallberries are not cooperating. <laughs> All right, so like, you think John Big Booty would be the stupidest fucking name you've ever heard for like an alien? <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, these two. John Smallberries. <laughs> That's John the Smallberries. one that breaks me. Yeah, no. Nah. Well, the Secretary of Defense is actually in on what's going on. He is running interference, distracting these guards so that Perfect Tommy can just drive the bus right on into the Yo-Yo Dine facility. Uh, the team are prepared to rescue Bonsai and Penny with John Parker leading the way. They come out in strapped, too. They do. They got all they kinds of weaponry. They gave, like, the, the helicopter dad, they gave him, like, a grenade launcher. 
And yep. then they give like the little kid like an AK forty seven. Yeah, and he's like he's like ten years old. Yeah, he's like ten or eleven. It's like, damn. And he doesn't like, even yeah. have a his own Blue Blazer uh membership number. He's Blue Blazer forty one and a half. Yeah, he's he's like on his dad's account or some shit. But yeah, no, <laughs> they're fully trapped. Everybody's got like a chest piece thing with the breather. Yeah, uh, Jeff Goldblum comes out with the breather in his mouth, like with like uh, Indian war paint on his face and shit. It was like, <laughs> yeah, that that little thing where like they're just going around corners and shit. That was like a really cool like little montage. I like that. Yep. Inside, they find a child's musical toy. Tommy wants to check it out, but somebody tells him, don't touch it. It might be a bomb. And that's when a red electroid drops from the ceiling and attacks Tommy. Inside the facility, the Secretary of Defense barges in. Somebody needs to show him a bomber. He's there to see a bomber. Meanwhile, the team find the electroid sleeping quarters and they sneak past some off-duty electroids. Tommy's watch starts beeping, and that alerts one of them who runs and sets off an alarm. John Warfin orders John Big Boutet to go kill Penny. As Warfin leaves to turn off the alarm, Buckaroo manages to escape from the shock tower chair. Meanwhile, the alarm is announcing there are monkey boys in the facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's his name? John Warfin, he he calls all humans monkey boys and shit. Yes. And he's talking about hairless apes, this and that. I should have ruled this place and I can't wait to get, get back home and stuff. Yep. That's fucking yeah, that's hilarious. Meanwhile, the Secretary of Defense is walking through a hallway lined with plastic sheets and we'll never see it again. It serves no purpose except for this one shot. <laughs> In the basement, New Jersey and Buckaroo meet up. They follow Buckaroo's tracking device while the Secretary of Defense finds his way into the manufacturing area. He wants to talk to John Big Booty. He follows uh, John Big Booty to the basement where Penny is kept. <laughs> and again, he's here to see a bomber, but, you know, whatever you got going on here, this is your own business. kind of sick, but I really need to see a bomber, but this is yeah. messed <laughs> up and you need some help. <laughs> that lady needs a jacket <laughs> like, why you got water all over the floor you know <laughs> a big booty snatches the secretary of defense up by his tie then he orders john o'connor to leave with him but john Warfin said we could kill this girl o'connor's not real pleased about not being able to kill penny so He's got this big, gross-looking frog thing that he set on that ramp that we talked about a minute ago, and he kind of stabs it in a, in the butt, and it starts moving down the ramp towards Penny's face. Yeah, it's like a gross, like, salamander snail frog or something. It's pretty nasty. It's very slimy-looking. Their whole technology seems to be, like, animal-based, because, like, the thing that played the uh, record, that 3D record thing, it looked like a little beetle thing. Right. In a race car, you know, it like it had like kind of, you know, bug armor. I don't know. Well, I guess it's like that. Well, Buckaroo and his team arrived to rescue Penny. The overthruster isn't there. So New Jersey is going to get Penny untied and, and get her out of there. Meanwhile, Buckaroo needs to go save the world. Back with the aliens, John Warfin tells John O'Connor and John Big Boutet to get everybody on the ship. 
and he gives the overthruster to Big Boutet and tells him to get it installed. Meanwhile, John Parker and Buckaroo fight their way toward the ship, and they manage to sneak in through an open hatch. John Big Boutet installs the overthruster, but warns uh, John Warfen that it's not going to work. This is a piece of crap. <laughs> Meanwhile, Scooter Lindley, that's the little kid, has the Secretary of Defense at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> They start the launch sequence, but they can't con connect their lasers. You know, they've got their lasers uh, pointed at a, a diagram painted on the wall, but they can't get the dots lined up. And Buckaroo says it's never going to work if they can't get the dots lined up. Also, it turns out that John Warfen knows that Buckaroo is on board somehow. The ship takes off, and they still aren't able to get the dots lined up, and instead of crossing over into the eighth dimension, they just bust through the wall and take off into the sky over New Jersey. This is why I don't go to New Jersey. Because of the alien? Yeah, because aliens just busting through the wall and flying over, messing stuff up. Plus, they got like the Jersey Devil and all kinds of mad stuff. Yeah. Well, John Warfin decides they need to get rid of some excess weight, so they eject the pod that Bonsai and John Parker are stowing away in, and they plummet toward Earth before finally getting the pod working. <laughs> well, let's see what this one does. Ooh, and it flies to the left. Well, let's, what, what does that one do? And they shoot up into the sky. And I know. It's, it's like, like they're falling, and then, like, Buckaroo just like takes a, a like a battery cable that's like loose and yep. hooks it to the wall, and then they pull like a an eight ball knob or something like a a truck gear, <laughs> uh, like a bobcat, and just boom, and then like they like just right up, and then they like hover over a building in California, and then next thing you know, they pull another lever, and then they're back up in the sky, you know, shooting forward with no problem. Yeah. Yeah, once they get this thing going and, and it takes them just a second to figure out the controls and they are off and they are chasing after this big alien spaceship. And it's a big ship compared to this little pod. Oh, yeah. Well, while they're trying to work through the, through the controls, Buckaroo finds the weapons system and they go after the red Lectroid ship. But Bonsai manages to lock on his laser and fire. And blows up the red Lectroid ship. The black Lectroids deactivate their weapons and leave as Buckaroo parachutes through the clouds back to Earth. And John Parker zips off in the pod back to the black Lectroid ship. On the ground, Buckaroo is reunited with his team. Penny's going to be fine, too. Scooter's still holding the Secretary of Defense at gunpoint. Secretary's offering him $20 to let him go. <laughs> Buckaroo and the, and the folks walk up to him and, and convince him to let the Secretary go. That's when we discover that this whole time, the little kid had the actual real overthruster. Yeah. That's why it wasn't going to work once they plugged it in. Not because the ship was a piece of crap. Because that wasn't the real overthrust. It's, that's like some speed racer shit. Like, the end of the day was saved because there was a kid and a monkey in a trunk of a car, you know? <laughs> Back on the tour bus, the president's calling. He wants to know if the aliens are gone or should he go ahead and destroy Russia. 
(laughs) (laughs) Penny is in bed with a sheet over her head. Buckaroo pulls the sheet down and she's laying there with her hands crossed on her chest like she's dead. He wants to check to see if she's breathing and he gets zapped when he does it. Apparently he's still quite electrified. So he kisses her and she wakes up. Uh, She's fine and they're in love and they kiss and close the blinds. And then for some reason you see John Parker's face and he goes, this is fine and then disappears. Oh, because it says, watch for our next adventure, uh, adventure of Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime Syndicate early. Yes. And then they go into a, like, almost 20-minute, uh, like, anime closing of, like, it's all just, the... It's just the entire cast. I'm Well, it's just Buckaroo Banzai and his crew, including Rawhide, who died, yeah. um, walking through the L.A. River. To uh, music, like a weird music thing. Yeah, bizarre synth music. Which, when they did that, uh, they didn't have the music finished yet. The guy's like, I'm still working on it, and it's not done. So they had to go film it first before they uh, synced it up with the music. So he's like, play Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. <laughs> that makes so like, much more sense now. Because yeah, they're just walking. Like, they're just walking. So they're in that, like... Yeah, they're in the L.A. River with Uptown Girl just blasting on the the camera truck. <laughs> and they got to smile and do this shit. And so, like, then when we get it, we, we hear the Buckaroo Banzai, like, you know, synth music and shit. So it kind of makes it a little bit better. Yeah. But, yeah, just imagine. Imagine the, sound, imagine the soundtrack from Blade Runner if it really, really sucked. If it was, yeah, happy, like on lithium or some shit. It's like Blade Runner, but instead of like dark and moody, it's like cheery. Yes. But yeah. Uh, also, the Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League. Of course, this movie like bankrupts that studio. So right. that never been made. But the script that they had was working on it, it went through enough drafts and revisions and it became uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. Yeah, there's a whole story about that shit happening. But yeah. So we switched from Martin. Peter Weller to um Kurt Russell. To Kurt Russell. Also they brought John Carp uh John Carpenter in to direct it. So that And see I love John Carpenter. Me too, man. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFpod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.